Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash TGF. This activity is supported by an educational grant from GSK Limited. Welcome to this Peer Voice panel discussion on advanced ovarian cancer. This activity comprises three presentations featuring a panel of international experts. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, I'm Isabelle Recoca from uh, Centre Lyon Bérard, uh, University of Lyon in France. Welcome to this activity on the management of uh, uh, patients with advanced ovarian cancer and POP inhibitor. I'm very pleased to have my colleagues and friends Charlie Gourlet from Edinburgh, United Kingdom, and Sandro Pignatra from Napoli, Italy, joining me today. In the first session, we will discuss the importance of molecular testing in newly diagnosed patients and strategy to enhance the multidisciplinary care of patients with advanced ovarian cancer. As you know, ovarian cancer, unfortunately, uh, um, uh, is in general diagnosed with an advanced disease. And in this case, the majority of the patients will relapse and die due to the cancer progression. Also, it is not uh, a frequent cancer. We see that the vast majority of the patient at the end will die because of the ovarian cancer. And the five years overall survival since long term will remain very low particularly for patients with stage 4, for example. And so the principle of the primary treatment for advanced ovarian cancer include surgery with a complete resection, initially or with interval debulking surgery, chemotherapy, including paclitaxel and carboplatin, and maintenance treatment using uh, potentially bevacizumab and now PARP inhibitor. In the first-line setting, our current goal is really to try to cure the patient or to provide a long-term survival. In terms of overall survival and different kind of ovarian cancer, Charlie, can you uh, explain to our colleagues about the uh, HRD uh, subgroup and the ovarian cancer patient in general? So this uh, pie chart here shows the genetic abnormalities that underlie high-grade serous ovarian cancer. On the right-hand side, we have a series of abnormalities that result in homologous recombination deficiency, and therefore we believe also very often result in PARP inhibitor sensitivity. You will see BRCA1, BRCA2 mutations, either somatic or germline, and a series of other molecular abnormalities. The rest of the abnormalities on this pie chart, some of them may cause homologous recombination deficiencies, some of them almost certainly do not. But one way of picking up those patients who are homologous recombination deficient without testing for all the abnormalities is to use an HRD test. This gives us a score that helps us work out whether the tumours are HR deficient or not. It helps guide us whether they should be treated with PARP inhibitors or not. Thank you, Charlie. We immediately understand how this HRD test is important for the patient. And so I will ask to Sandro, how do you manage this in your routine practice? 
Yes, Isabel, these biomarkers are now important in our clinical practice because we uh, are basing our clinical decision on the results of the test. This test, the HRD test, uh, as the BRCA testing, has both a prognostic value, meaning that the patients with the homologous recombination deficiencies have better prognosis, but also a predictive value because we know that uh, the deficient patients are um, more sensitive to platinum-based therapy and maintenance. What is important today is that we obtain the results as soon as possible. So the turnaround of the test should be quite quick. And at the beginning, it was quite difficult because there was just commercial tests that were uh, quite expensive in, uh, in uh, all the countries. It was not available widely, but nowadays there are more and more academic testing and other commercial testing that are quicker uh, and uh, uh, can uh, allow uh, to more and more patients to be tested uh, uh, very quickly uh, frontline. Thank you, Sandro, to insist on this topic. So effectively, it's uh, much more important to look at the a new story considering ovarian cancer in advanced setting. We have, since 2018, the possibility to uh, uh, use uh, Olaparib in the BRCA mutated population looking to the solo one results where we have seen for patients in partial or complete response to platinum-based chemotherapy then Olaparib uh, do better in terms of progression-free survival than uh, uh, placebo. Two years later, we have beyond BRCA see the efficacy of PARP inhibitor, particularly in the HRD-positive population. And right now, we have the possibility to use Olaparib plus Bevacizumab in this setting for patients with an HRD test positive. But also, we have access to PARP alone with the Niraparib, where we have seen a huge efficacy in the HRD-positive population, but also uh, in the HRD negative subgroup, also the magnitude of the benefit is lower in this population. We are speaking about efficacy, but what about safety of this uh, treatment? Sandro, can you summarize these different options available in terms of uh, safety profile? Yes, overall I would say that the PARP inhibitors uh, have some class side effects, for example, anemia, uh, nausea are uh, quite common to all these drugs. There are some uh, specific, uh, more specific side effects. For example, for niraparib, there is uh, quite more uh, hematological toxicity if we use the 300 milligram dose that is reduced when we calculate the dose according to weight and platelet counts. And uh, regarding the combination of uh, olaparib and bevacizumab, probably there is quite more hypertension that is uh, overall related to bevacizumab. Uh, I have to say that these drugs are very well tolerated and uh, uh, the, uh, there is some, sometimes the need to, the, to reduce the dose, but a minority of the patients uh, need to discontinue due to toxicity. Thank you, Sandro. Um, uh, Charlie, can you um, add on, on this about the risk of myelodysplasia, leukemia, that it is uh, something uh, uh, important for this patient? Yes, uh, this is something we've been a bit concerned about because 
as we'll see later, some of the relapse disease studies uh, suggest that there is a significant incidence, single-digit percentage of myelodysplastic syndrome or acute myeloid leukaemia. However, in the first-line setting to date, the incidence seems very small, around about 1% in the PARP inhibitor-treated arms. Now, of course, we don't have quite as long follow-up in these studies as we do in the relapse disease studies, but we do have long follow-up that has recently been reported in SOLO1 and Paola1 in particular, and four-year follow-up in PRIMA, and in, in those cases, uh, there doesn't seem to be any new signal according to AML or MDS. So now we have seen a summary of the efficacy of this uh, different option, but also about the uh, safety profile looking to pop inhibitor uh, uh, alone or in combination with BEV. Sandro, can you give me the uh, potential factor you have in your mind to decide to introduce a pop inhibitor uh, in the first line setting? Well, Isabel, I, I think that the clinical data we have from, uh, from the studies with the uh, all increasing PFS and in some cases also OS, like for the Olaparib-BEV combination, are, uh, strongly encourage me to use PARP inhibitor in all the patients. I, I think uh, that the key toxicity, in particular myelosuppression, is uh, is really manageable uh, and uh, also some specific side effects are manageable. So um, I think the benefit uh, uh, strongly uh, is uh, uh, an advantage uh, compared to the risk for giving these drugs to our patients. Thank you, Sandro. Charlie, do you want to add something perhaps about the uh, a short comment about combination versus monotherapy? Yeah, so uh, a lot of the people watching this may not have bevacizumab available first line for all their patients. And that's certainly the situation we have. And so also factoring into the decision for us is whether bevacizumab is available or not. And if bevacizumab is available, then the HRD status is important when deciding whether to add a lap ribbon or not. But if bevacizumab isn't available, then uh, what we do for our patients, our BRCA wild type patients, is offer them niraparib if they appear to be platinum sensitive. And effectively, uh, as mentioned by Sandro, we have recent data who confirm uh, not only for the progression-free survival, but also in overall survival, that PARP inhibitor can change uh, the game. And the results from SOLO1 using Olaparib in the uh, BRCA-mutated population at the ESMO this year was really uh, uh, comforting for us for the use of PARP in this population. And, and also the Paula1 final overall survival, that it is the first results beyond BRCA to report that PARP inhibitor in combination with BEV can improve the overall survival in the HRD positive population. Also, we have seen that more than 50% of the patients receive a PARP inhibitor as a subsequent therapy. And so if we would like to summarize the, the first line setting right now, we start with the testing, including BRCA and HRD tests to decide then about the place of the surgery, upfront surgery versus neoadjuvant chemotherapy, 
The second question is about the BEV, as we have to add BEV to chemotherapy. And right now, we have a solution for all the patients. If the patients are candidate for BEV, we have the opportunity for the HRD-positive population to use a PARP inhibitor uh, um, for this patient, for the HRD-negative to continue the BEV, and for patients not candidate for BEV for any reason, we have the possibility to use a PARP inhibitor alone, more particularly for BRCA and HRD-positive population, but also uh, uh, due to the results of the PRIMA in the HRD-negative uh, uh, population. So if we would like to summarize, the optimum first-line treatment need to include a complete surgery, optimal chemotherapy, but also an optimal maintenance treatment. BRCA testing should take place for all patients at baseline, and we have seen that the HRD test or a genomic instability score testing must be proposed. Also, the test need to be a validate test. Patients with BRCA-mutated tumor or a JES HRD test positive should be given a PARP inhibitor, as we have seen in terms of results for overall survival with or without BEV. And what we can say today is that the additional benefit of bevacizumab in combination with PARP therapy in the BRCA-mutated population continue to be debated. Thank you very much for your attention for this part. We will move now to the second part. Hello, I'm Isabelle Recoca from Centre Léon Bérard University of Lyon in France. Welcome to this activity on the management of patients with advanced ovarian cancer and the role of PARP inhibitor. I'm very pleased to have my colleagues and friends, Charlie Gourlet from United Kingdom and Sandro Pinata from Italy, join me today. And in this second session, we will discuss the different factors clinicians should consider when choosing second and later line of treatment in ovarian cancer. Unfortunately, in the relapse setting, the story of patients with, with ovarian cancer is uh, unfortunately a repetition of treatment, more generally including platinum-based chemotherapy plus or less maintenance treatment, and we will speak on that. And also the patient relapse, shorter will be the uh, time-free interval between the treatment until uh, 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 the third or the fourth line where in general we use platinum or chemotherapy continuously until the end. So now to come back to the maintenance treatment, I would like to uh, ask to uh, Sandro Pinata about the role of the PARP inhibitor maintenance in platinum-sensitive relapse. Yes, Isabel, what we learned during the last uh, 10 years uh, is that uh, when the patients uh, respond to a platinum-based chemotherapy with a partial or complete response, and uh, uh, receive a maintenance therapy with uh, one PARP inhibitor, there is a, a strong increase in progression-free survival and the patients remain free of further chemotherapy for a very long uh, period of time. We have evidences for Olaparib, Niraparib and Rucaparib all in the same magnitude of positive effects in terms of PFS uh, with some minor uh, differences in uh, side effects. Thank you, Sandro. And, and Charlie, 
Uh, how can we uh, explain the uh, efficacy of PARP inhibitor and how we have to consider the response to platin uh, as uh, an important point for this patient? Well, it seems to be absolutely critical. All of these trials used platinum sensitivity as an entry criteria for the patients. And it seems that once you use that, then many of our other molecular tests don't add a huge amount. They add something. So, for example, if we do an HRD test, it will tell us which patients are more likely to benefit, but it doesn't tell us who won't benefit. And I think the reason for that is because response to platinum is such a strong clinical biomarker. Thank you, Charlie. And, and to build on that, what is your point of view about the, the best criteria to consider the benefits of PARP inhibitor? Do you consider progression-free survival or do we need to have overall survival data? So in this setting, I would say progression-free survival. It's very difficult in ovarian cancer to show an overall survival benefit, not least of all because in our clinical trials, many of the patients on the control arm get the test arm therapy following progression. So therefore, many patients in the trial, even in the control arm, will receive a PARP inhibitor uh, after progression, and that mixes up the overall survival signal. So in that situation, I think progression-free survival is very important. And there's also the additional factor that for these patients, actually a long time off chemotherapy is a very important endpoint, given that the vast majority of them are not curable and the quality of life is extremely important. Totally agree with you. And, and we can also add that the quality of life we have seen in the different trial also report a positive effect in favor to add this maintenance for the patient. The other point to take into consideration is the safety and more particularly what about the occurrence of melodysplasia and leukemia? And what we have seen in this uh, different randomized trial is that uh, we don't uh, see a statistically difference for the patient who receive maintenance with PARP versus the patient who receive a placebo has maintenance treatment. Also, we have seen a little bit more uh, myelodysplasia than in the first line setting. Uh, the uh, results are uh, completely uh, uh, concordant with uh, uh, the, the patient included in, in the uh, PARP arm versus uh, the placebo. Um, alternatively to PARP inhibitor, there is also uh, access to BEV in the relapse setting. And Sandro, can you summarize the place of the BEV maintenance in this setting? Yes, we have uh, we had uh, at least four trials in the recurrent setting in patients with a platinum sensitive recurrence that uh, showed that bevacizumab is able to increase both the response rate to chemotherapy and the PFS. And uh, we have also shown in some of these trials that this benefit is also present in the patients that uh, have already received uh, bevacizumab during their first-line therapy. So even if they recur or progress during BEV in first-line, they can still receive BEV uh, 
concurrent to chemotherapy in second line. This is not available in all the countries, but where available, it, it can be used. Thank you so much, uh, Sandro. And uh, um, we know that more and more patients receive PARP inhibitor in the first line setting. What do you think about a PARP inhibitor hot challenge and which population could you consider that could be a good uh, 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 population in, in it is available in Europe? Yes, in ovarian cancer, we have used the uh, retreatment with the same drug first with the uh, platinum, then with the taxan, then with BEV, and now also with PARP inhibitor. The Rio trial was the, the first, and it's the only trial available now, to show that in a selected population of patients, those that have very well responded to chemotherapy and those who have a very long benefit by PARP inhibition first line, when they recur and respond again to platinum, can be retreated with Olaparib and having a, a significant benefit. I think here uh, we need to still increase our knowledge uh, on the molecular point of view uh, for being able to select better these patients. I repeat, it's a selected population that could benefit from PARP uh, retreatment. Um, Charlie, I have also a question for you. Uh, do you consider that there is novel combination outside of chemotherapy or using new drug who could be interesting in the second line maintenance treatment? Well, this is really key, actually. You know, we really need better therapies at relapse. And some of these trials have reported to some extent. So if I draw your attention to Mediola, so while many of the immune checkpoint inhibitor studies have been a little bit disappointing in high-grade serous ovarian cancer. This study did show quite a high response rate in the Darvalumab plus Olaparib plus Bevacizumab combination. So that was interesting because that was the first time we'd seen something like that. And then if I was to pick out one of the other ones, maybe Epico, which is looking at Alpelisib, which is a an ATR inhibitor in combination with Olaparib. And I think this is a particularly interesting strategy because the thing about high-grade serous ovarian cancer is that it's a disease of DNA repair abnormalities, of cell cycle abnormalities. And therefore, I think this sort of strategy uh, may be very fruitful. And this is the sort of way we should be looking. Thank you very much, Charlie. Um, Sandro, can I ask you to uh, uh, um, summarize the approach of the management of patients with recurrent ovarian cancer in uh, uh, our uh, European community? Yes, Isabella. I think the first point to discuss is that now we don't consider the platinum sensitivity as a simple cutoff cut at six months. Now we classify the patients... Uh, between patients that can be retreated with platinum and those who are not. And uh, these categories are more uh, much better defined today compared to the past. The second point is that we need to evaluate the possibility to operate the patients because we have seen that secondary surgery may be effective in prolonging the therapy. 
and then we need to decide which kind of maintenance we can use uh, in the treatment. This largely depends on the previous treatment that the patients have received during first line. Thank you so much, uh, both. So if we would like to summarize the uh, management of patients in the relapse setting, we can say that uh, numerous disease, but also patient-related factor has to be con considered when selecting systemic treatment for recurrent ovarian cancer. We speak about surgery, but also what the patient received before. Antiangiogenic as BEV and PARP inhibitor have an important role as maintenance of platinum-based chemotherapy for recurrent disease, and these options are available in the vast majority of our country, that it is a good news. But also we know that more and more patients with advanced ovarian cancer will receive PARP inhibitor as an upfront surgery. And so uh, conserving platinum sensitivity in, in patients with disease progression on or after PARP inhibitor maintenance remain an unresolved issue for the future. Thank you so much to be there and to continue to work on the, uh, how to improve our management of patients in ovarian cancer, uh, in the relapse setting. Thank you so much. Hello, I'm Isabelle Recoca from Centre Léon Bérard and University of Lyon in France. Welcome to this activity on the management of patients with advanced ovarian cancer and PARP inhibitor. I'm very pleased to have my colleagues and friends, Charlie Gourlet from Edinburgh, United Kingdom, and Sandro Pinata from Napoli, Italy, join me today. In this third session, we will use uh, the different patient case scenario through the disease continuum in advanced ovarian cancer. First, we will start with Sophia, 58 years old, patient with uh, uh, um, BRCA wild type ovarian cancer, good performance status, well controlled hypertension, no personal or family history, and we have an high grade serious ovarian cancer. The figure stage is 3C with peritoneal metastasis, no BRCA mutation at the germinal level, and the patient starts neoadjuvant chemotherapy with three cycles of carboplatin plus paclitaxel receive an interval debulking surgery with no residual disease, and the molecular testing report, an HRD test positive uh, uh, for this patient. So the patient uh, received adjuvant chemotherapy, and the first question to uh, Sandro is about the use of bevacizumab for this patient. Yes, for me, a patient that uh, uh, cannot receive primary surgery and uh, undergo uh, to neoadjuvant chemotherapy and the interval debulking is, in my view, still an high-risk patient. And so I suggest that after the response, uh, I introduce bevacizumab and then the, the, the PARP inhibition. So I think this is a, a patient suitable for the combination. Thank you, Sandro. Charlie, do you have uh, the same uh, uh, feeling or do you want to uh, um, use an alternative maintenance therapy? So, yes, where, where I work, we're not allowed to use bevacizumab in stage 3 patients, only in stage 4 patients in the first-line setting. So I, therefore, wouldn't use bevacizumab. Um, I would 
uh, be thinking about maintenance niraparib for this patient. Uh, if I did work somewhere where I could use bevacizumab, I think it would still be a difficult decision because the patient was completely debulked. I take on board what San- Sandro says about it, there being a high-risk factor in that there was neoadjuvant chemo, but the main bev- benefit from bevacizumab in the first-line studies was in patients who had resid- residual disease, and that's just the way I would interpret those data. I agree, Charlie, that uh, the availability of the BEV is something that we need to integrate. Uh, I will be uh, also, uh, as Sandro, in favor to use BEV in this uh, population because also of the overall survival benefit we have seen in the Paula 1 trial, adding BEV in the HRD-positive population. But both are completely acceptable. The next uh, 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 discussion could be for this patient with exactly the same uh, patient presentation, but looking to the diagnosis work up, we have neoadjuvant chemotherapy, interval debulking surgery, but unfortunately with residual disease. And in this case, uh, we also uh, start to ask you, uh, to you, Charlie, do you consider uh, for this patient with residual disease uh, to uh, use BEV or not? So yes, if I worked in a country where I was allowed to give bevacizumab to stage 3 patients, this is somebody who I certainly would consider bevacizumab for. Sandro, do you want to add something in these particular cases? I think this patient that have residual disease after interval debulking is at very high risk of progression or quick progression. So if we can add bevacizumab to the PARP inhibitors, I'm completely in favor, even more than in the previous case, because as Charlie said, the best results of BEV are in patients with residual disease. You're right. It's something quite important that to consider this patient with a very high risk of relapse. Now moving to the third cases, this patient is already the same with neoadjuvant chemotherapy, interval debulking surgery and no residual disease. And in this case, the uh, uh, biomarker testing report an HRD test negative. So in this case, Sandro, what do you consider as the best for this patient? Do you, you will use BEV or not? Unfortunately, in this uh, category of patients that had uh, uh, proficient uh, uh, for homologous recombination, we don't have uh, comparative uh, trials to, to evaluate the effectiveness of BEV versus single-agent niraparib. So for these patients that has no residual disease, I think my choice would be to give niraparib uh, as maintenance. Uh, so I, it's my preferred treatment option. Thank you, Sandro. Charlie, do you want to say something in the HRP population? So I agree with Sandro. Uh, in this patient with no residual disease, even though it was after neoadjuvant chemotherapy, the operation in this HRD-negative patient, I would uh, prioritize niraparib, I think. Okay, so to summarize, for the HRD-negative population, finally, we have two options, 
POP inhibitor alone has niraparib or to introduce BEV alone, this needs to be discussed at the multidisciplinary board and also with the patient because in this case we have to uh, um, choose between an IV treatment with some side effects and an oral treatment with uh, alternative side effects. So both are completely acceptable. Now moving to uh, a much more complex, from my personal point of view, situation. It is always Sophia with exactly the same patient presentation. She received neoadjuvant chemotherapy, interval debulking surgery with no residual disease. And unfortunately, if we know that there is no GBRCA uh, 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 mutation or TBRCA mutation, we don't know about the HRD test. In this case, Charlie, what could be your uh, maintenance treatment for Sophia? So in this situation, again, I would uh, be thinking along the lines of using niraparib because if you introduce bevacizumab, then really you need to know the HRD status in order to inform whether you add PARP inhibitor maintenance in. Whereas uh, when you're thinking along the lines of niraparib, then there is less of a requirement to have the HRD status because from the signal we've got so far, there may be a benefit in the HR proficient patients. Given that this patient was debulked to no residual disease, then I think uh, single agent niraparib would be my preference here. Sandro, can you add something on that? I fully agree with Charlie. I, I, I agree with the, his decision. What I have to say is that with the new academic testing and the new commercial testing, the number of unknown uh, patients should decrease. And uh, so I'm convinced that in the future we will have this data for more and more patients because we need this data for, to decide the therapy. Yes, I agree with you both. Now moving to Olivia, probably a much more complex uh, discussion. Olivia is 52 years old with a BRCA2 mutation and an ovarian cancer. When you look to the uh, results, the patient starts with um, a primary debulking surgery with a small residual disease. And we know that she has a germline BRCA mutation confirmed. It is a stage 3C. In this case, what is your uh, uh, first choice in terms of maintenance? Sandro, do you have a, a BEV to this patient? So unfortunately, in Italy, my country, uh, there is no uh, reimbursement for uh, the combination in patients with BRCA mutation. But in an ideal place, uh, I think that uh, we have two uh, very effective treatments uh, available. That is Olaparib or Niraparib uh, single agent therapy and the combination. What we have seen with the combination is the effect of the drugs is present independently from the residual disease. So even in patients with optimal cytoreduction, we see very, very strong effect of the combination. Of course, we have no direct combi uh, comparison of the combination with single agent PARP. So I understand that it's difficult to decide 
In this case, the clinical parameters, particularly those that can predict some toxicity to the addition of BEV, are, uh, in my view, very important for the decision. Now, uh, moving to the relapse setting for this patient we already discussed before. Charlie, can you quickly summarize what could be uh, your favorite option for patients in the relapse setting? So, if patients haven't received a PARP inhibitor before and are platinum sensitive, then I will certainly consider them for a PARP inhibitor. However, the vast majority of our patients are, are now receiving first-line PARP inhibitors if they're eligible. And so therefore, we need something else in the second-line setting. If in your country you're allowed to use bevacizumab and they've not had bevacizumab before, then I think this is a very good option and a particularly good option in the platinum-resistant setting. Other than that, I think we need more trials. I think PARP inhibitor after PARP inhibitor needs further investigation, but we also need new agents that uh, tackle different targets in this disease. Thank you, Charlie, for this uh, uh, nice summary. Effectively, you're right, depend on what the patient received before, and uh, also a majority of the patient will receive a PARP inhibitor alone or in combination. So now, thank you so much, Sandro and, and Charlie, for all you have done for this uh, uh, session, and uh, uh, thank you uh, uh, for you joining us today. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.